This is the NROI Podcast, your source for factual information for USPSA and SCSA competition. This podcast is brought to you by the National Range Officers Institute, United States Practical Shooting Association, and Steel Challenge Shooting Association. Goal rule books can be found at uspsa.org rules, scsa.org rules, and on the USPSA and SCSA apps available in your Apple App Store and Google Play Store. All rates for this podcast are reserved. No portion of this podcast may be used or redistributed without written permission from the director of the National Range Officers Institute. Rules discussions on this podcast do not constitute an official ruling. The discussions on this podcast are meant to inform and educate. The only official rulings are published as per the bylaws of the United States Practical Shooting Association. Questions about rules should be emailed to rules at uspsa.org. This is episode 49, recorded late February 2024. Well, hello everyone, this is Kevin Emmel with the NROI Podcast, and as usual, joining me here is our director, Troy McManus. Good evening, Troy. Good evening. And Jody Human, our other assistant director. Good evening, Jody. Good evening, everyone. So, been an eventful couple of weeks. The shooting season starting to come back up. Uh here where Jody and I live, the robins have returned, and we actually kind of had a nice day today. And we have like four inches of snow forecast next week, so <laughs> it's kind of this kind of back. <laughs> spring on the Palouse. Yeah, it's spring on the Palouse. It's what happens. Um, yeah, it's. I still remember many years ago, and then June tenth, twenty two thousand eight. We woke up to two inches of snow on the ground and it was 80 something degrees that afternoon. So if you don't like the weather, wait five minutes, it'll change. Um, anyway, so um, I guess the probably the big talk topic that uh, folks are interested in right now is what's happening with the new rules and when can we expect to to see those released? All right. So. Um... We made a couple of tweaks to one of the rules that uh, one of the board members then didn't care for. I didn't really hear from the rest of them. Um, so uh, we're just going to take that that change out. We're not going to change that particular rule at all. And I notified them that uh, rules would be effective on February 29th. So there is a meeting on the 26th. If they have something else to say about it, I'm going to assume that the board will bring it up then. Um, but as far as NRY is concerned, the rule books will be effective uh, February 29th. We're going to get that published. Uh, it'll be available, obviously, on our webpage first and then in the app and then Amazon. And hopefully we don't have the same uh, publishing issues that we had with Amazon last year where it took them a while to establish that we were actually the owners of the rules. So I think Rick took care of that last year, though, so we're, we should be good. But February 29th is the effective date. Should be the release date unless, like I said, on the 26th in the board meeting that the uh, that the board decides something different. I don't really anticipate that happening, but that's uh, it's always a possibility. So February 29th should be out there and good to go. And that will also include the one that's been effective since the 31st of January, the 15-round production rule. All righty. That's... That's great. So if you are a recent student and you're uh, slacking on taking your exam, you might want to get it finished. 
<laughs> or if you're doing your reap your uh, renewal and yeah, it's already started, you might want to hurry up and get it done. Otherwise, stuff's going to change. And just so you guys know, when you, if you are doing your exams, the produ- questions that involve production 10 have been updated to production 15. Um, right. The other rules changes will ha- updates will happen when the rules updates happen. But the production 15 has been updated in the question pool. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you uh, use the option to print your exam out and work on it on paper and then go back and pound your answers in. Yeah. It might not work so good. So I know if I was doing it, I'd end up with lots of questions that changed because of the rule changes. So, yeah. I'm not sure that we, I'm not sure that we made a lot of drastic changes. That are going to affect a lot of those questions, but there are some differences. So yeah, yeah when I probably looked, a couple there was questions we can add in too as well. So yeah, when I looked, there was only including the production fifteen questions, maybe like nine or ten questions that needed edits. Um, but yeah, we do need to start adding new rules, especially for or new questions that involve our newer rules. Um, because we don't change a lot in the question pool, which means that we need to update it. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. Um, and any new updates on the uh, Steel Challenge RO course, Troy? Um, I'm finalizing most of that uh, this week, first part of next week. I have to get, uh, we have to get, an adjustment made to the seminar request form that enables people to request the steel challenge or a USPSA. And uh, I'm going to suggest to Rick that he just put a checkbox in there so that they can pick one instead of building a whole other application for it. I don't really, I mean, unless one of you guys has a reason to, to build another seminar request strictly for steel challenge, I don't see the point. Um, no. We'll also get it posted on the steel challenge page as well. Although I think, if you go there, I haven't really checked it, but it, I think it points, there. it just takes you to the USPSA page. Yeah. yeah. Looking for a seminar. So um that should that should do that. And then the adjustment to the uh certification will have to change as well to indicate a steel challenge RO versus a USPSA RO. And I think it's gonna be a simple uh, S or S C designation uh, along with the RO thing. And that'll just be I mean, it'll probably be on their on their digital card uh, or maybe on their badge, but it, you know, it's not something that's going to be a like hanging a banner on them. You know, I mean, I think I feel like most of the people that will take the Steel Challenge seminars are going to shoot mostly Steel Challenge anyway because that's where their interests lie, and that's fine. That's why we're doing the seminar. So, you know, it's not going to be really make that big a difference, and then. Obviously, we'll have a lot of crossovers because of the training we've done in the past and the and the uh, endorsement courses that we have available as well. So one way or the other, it's going to work out. But uh, that's the two big things that I, I need to get our IT guy working on. And as soon as I figure out the best way to do it, I'll send it to him and should be done in 10 minutes. Right. So, yeah, usually. Yeah. When those 10 minutes occur is a whole other thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hi, Rick. (laughs) (laughs) Ten minutes. (laughs) Uh, All right. Um, 
And then we got a couple questions uh, recently regarding chamber flags and uh, and somebody actually pointed out that our definitions between steel challenge and our other rule books are a little bit different. So we'll get that sorted, but um, let's talk chamber flags. What is, what isn't. So chamber flags, um, depending on the discipline you shoot. So if you shoot, Oh, NRA high power, or you do things at say CMP Talladega where they have, you know, rifle matches, et cetera. That chamber flag is, is supposed to go into the barrel and then hold the bolt open. Um, USPSA doesn't necessarily require anything to enter the barrel or the chamber. We just require something that holds the bolt open and indicates with a flag, a, a marker of some kind of external indicator that that's in place and holding the bolt open because then obviously that firearm can't fire. Uh, that coupled with the, the standard clearing process of if clear hammer down flag, uh, right? So we do a final check on the gun by making you pull the trigger, make sure, making sure that it's empty in case somebody missed something. Um, and, and the, and the flag holding the, the bolt open is an indicator that that rifle is, has been checked and is empty. So. One of the reasons that if your chamber flag inadvertently falls out, say you you drag it out of your bag and it snags on the bag, the chamber flag comes out. We treat that just like a dropped gun. You just call the RO over and say, my chamber flag fell out. Now, hopefully you're right there at the berm or in a safe area or something like that. And um, and he tells you just clear the gun, you clear it, clear, hammer down, flag it, you flag it, and you're good to go as long as it's not low. So... Uh, that's our that's our definition of a chamber flag. I think in the steel challenge rules, it says that uh, that the magwell has to be empty. There are some chamber 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 hold open devices. I call them that fit into the magazine and and hold your bolt open. Um, we've kind of told a lot of people that that's not really the best way to do that, uh, but. And still challenge, it would say that you can't do it because the chamber has to be empty. I mean, the magwell has to be empty. In USPSA, you, you very seldom see anything like that. Um, in multi-gun now, there are some people that use those. And it's been accepted in multi-gun to use that because it's bright orange. And it does hold the bolt back. And it's obvious that it's not a magazine. So we may do a little bit of tweaking with that over the course of this year and see. But... It, Generally, we haven't seen any issues with people using chamber flags or bolt hold open devices or whatever you want to call it um, at, at USPSA matches and having their chamber flag or their device questioned, right? I mean, at least I haven't heard much about it. We didn't get, we don't hardly get any questions about them other than, hey, why is this different or do I, does it have to go into the chamber, et cetera? So, uh, we've been asked about the ones that just look like a basically they're 3d printed magazine right that you insert in and the at one point we were saying they weren't legal because there was no flag sticking out of the chamber opening or the ejection port ejection port that's the word i was looking for but i mean they're still holding open the bolt or the you know Keeping the right. gun from firing. I don't think that I would necessarily run somebody off if, if they showed up with that, if they didn't know any better. Mm -hmm. um, because it does indicate 
you know, that, that the bolt is open and it holds the bolt open. And like I said, they're usually brightly colored. The ones I've seen have all been yeah. orange. The ones yeah, that most of the 3D printed ones I've seen have been, there was a dark blue one I saw and a black one I saw. Yeah, yeah black, and, not a good idea. And I'm like, no, because I can't just at a glance see that as a chamber flag. Black to me looks like magazine. Right. Um, the black one would be uh, a bad. Uh, you chose poorly. Yes. If you pick the black one. <laughs> yes. Uh, but the orange or the blue or the red or something. Yeah. Bright colors. Bright colors. And and if you have a brightly colored gun, a contrasting bright color. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's oh the wonder miracles of Cerakote and all that's <laughs> all those paint jobs now. Wow. There's a lot of people that, you know, I mean, this is kind of an aside, but a couple of years ago there were there were people that were uh, coloring guns in, in bright primary colors. Yep. Mm-hmm. And that the shooting community generally kind of frowned on that because they didn't want them to look like a toy, right? Yeah, right. And that was that was the whole thing. I mean, there was one that was made to look like it was made out of Legos or something. And oh, mm-hmm. there was the one the blocks that looked like the Nintendo blasters from Duck Hunt. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> so that's you know that's probably not a, a bright idea i mean and and that's a a gun safety kind of thing i mean you don't want your gun that looks like a toy to be around when your kids are around right um although there's all kind of things you should do to keep the guns and the kids separated but still not a good idea to have it just look like a like a brightly colored crayola crayon type toy and yeah that wasn't that wasn't very accepted and you know honestly in most in our competitions, you don't see them. So you might see a gold one or you might see a, a one that has some blue or some red Cerakote or something, but they're not. I was going to say, have you, have you seen some of the open guns? Yeah, there's a lot of open guns with <laughs> flames and. Or, I mean, have you... the flames and all that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's some stuff coming out of Johnny Lim's shop that's pretty amazing. Well, and I know Infinity was like, had some pretty flashy looking. Mm hmm. There, there's one gun that was built husky colors, which bad color combo. But anyway, um, I digress. <laughs> hey, Christian, <laughs> go Cougs. <laughs> yeah, go Pack Two. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't even start. Um, <laughs> alrighty, um, and then we. There was a match recently um, that did some interesting things with activations. Uh, we get asked about these now and then. You know, can I just have somebody shoot something for no score to activate a target? And our answer has always been no. And um, usually it's, um, I think it was MGM sells little legs to use to activate swingers. And basically yeah. it's a plate with two little metal tabs. So it's all one sheet of metal. So yep. it kind of looks like, I don't know. What does it look like? <laughs> a lollipop lollipop with two sticks. Yeah, two anyway, lollipops stuck together. <laughs> yeah. Um, is you put that under the weight and you have to shoot the plate out to activate the swinger. And I know there's been a few clubs I've been at. They bought those cause they thought it was cool. And then I hate having to tell them um, you can't use those because they don't meet the size requirements of a plate. 
And also because if someone hits, doesn't hit the round part of the plate, but hits one of the little legs, then it's a range equipment failure. So you're just asking right. for your match to be slow. Yep. When you do that. Yeah. So it's not a regulation shape. Um, I've had people say, well, what if I paint the legs black and the paint and the plate white? Well, it still doesn't matter because you got the whole RAF problem, right? Yep. And how do you, how do you tell where they hit it if it, you know, flies off and, and activates. So not not a legal shape, and we've always said that they're not legally used. Now you can use it for your for your stick, you know, just paint the whole thing black and tie a cable to it and use it to, you know, something pulls it down, that's fine. No, no reason to throw it away, but it's not something that you can shoot at. And you certainly can't put it out there, paint it black or or whatever other color you it might have been painted and and call it a, a non-scoring uh plate right because that defeats the purpose of uspsa we don't require people to fire shots that don't count yeah right i mean some people do right we we miss and we <laughs> hit the wrong thing or hit the hardcover or something but you're still intending to fire a shot that earns you points and with yeah. this it's just adding time with no points and that defeats the whole hit factor concept. So not legal to do that. Uh, you and, can take those to a shop that cuts steel and have them just take those little legs off and make a, put a, you know, use one of the legs you cut off to make a flat base for it. Make it a regular knockover popper. Yeah, you could make something out of it. I mean, yeah. But, or a knockover plate, sorry, not a popper. Yeah. So, yeah, don't use it. For a non-scoring, must-shoot-at target, and certainly don't use them as a scoring target either because they're not legal, right? So the point is, if you're going to run a USPSA match, run it by the USPSA rules. And the other point is that if you send stages in for sanction and you put those in there, I'm going to tell you, or Jody or Kevin will tell you, that they're not legal. But if you don't put them in there, and then go ahead and use them anyway, that defeats the whole sanction process. I mean, and, and sort of, you know, it what it does is it implies that NRY has approved something that's not legal. And that's not a good idea either, right? Because we didn't. Just your match director or your stage designer or whatever decided to stick those in there and use them. And that's just not kosher. Yeah, and just because you saw it at a match, if the book says it's illegal and you saw it at a level two or level three match, doesn't necessarily mean it's legal. Right. It's, people do stuff. Well, and don't yeah. think we aren't going to hear about it because we will, because people will send us questions going, hey, I was I asked about these you know, two years ago and was told, no, apparently that's changed. And we'll go, no, that's not changed. Oh, Tell okay. us more. And that you shouldn't be using plates in level three matches anyway. So. Well, no, but <laughs> no, but that's just another reason that those are illegal. <laughs> and, you know, and also, you know, our appendix A1, where it talks about the sanctioning process, um, I believe it's what, two months for an area championship and one month? Yeah. Or a level two match for you to have your stages submitted to us for review um we really appreciate when we get the stages 
with those time frames versus the Monday before a match that starts on Thursday. Um, you know, I, Kevin and I still work for a living, so we don't have time to drop everything review stages. Troy is busy with, you know, sometimes busy with other NROI stuff and travel for seminars and matches. So it it really helps if we get those stages ahead of time so we can have our t- take time to look at them. Because mm-hmm. sometimes when we're looking really quickly through things in order to get them sanctioned at the last minute, we sometimes miss stuff, right? Not intentionally. Um, or we just don't have the time to sit there and digest them and ask the questions of, how are you activating that target? You didn't say how you're activating that target. Yeah. Um, or worse, so, we go back and tell you that, nope, and point out a whole bunch of problems. And now yeah. you have 24 hours to turn something new around that will work and you're, which then puts more pressure on us to turn it back around for you. So, you know, those, those, those time limits have been that way for a very long time since the days of putting in an envelope and mailing it in. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, that is, you know, just, just because it's an instant and easy doesn't necessarily, we sit around doing nothing but waiting to do that. I mean, my time for reviewing matches is generally Saturday morning and the rest, you know, I've got the rest of my week is split up doing other things and, you know, working for a living, having a life, things like that. But yeah, Kevin's right. You know, sometimes we don't need to make any, there's no changes that need made and there's other times changes do made made. And I just want to remind everyone that all the stages that get submitted to form C's go into the USPSA stage library. And that's why we ask you to update the files because they're going into the stage library. I mean, I think we have a disclaimer that, you know, some, not everything's something you might come across something that's not legal because it happens. Well, and the rules Um, change. And the rules change. Yeah. Those pesky rules changes. Um, But, you know, also make sure there's enough information on your stage diagrams, one for us to review it and also think ahead to the people who may be using the stage down the road, they may go to the stage library and be like, Hey, this looks cool and want to use it. And if it's just a picture with no WSB or stage procedure, then well, they can make up their own, but it's probably not going to be as useful to them. Right. Um, well, and so. go ahead and include your WSBs. We'll review those for free. You know, yeah. it's, and it really helps us with the review. I notice when I'm reviewing stages for a match, if the WSBs are included, I have way less questions yeah. because the WSB tells me things that the picture causes questions about and I, Oh, okay. That's what they're doing. All right, cool. Um, you know, and we'll review those for free. Well, if they see something that might be a problem, we'll point that out. Um, you know, that's it, 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 the, it's not the whole review process is not meant to be punitive. It's meant to help you have a better quality match. That's the point. And it's not to beat you over the head with the rule book. It's to help you have a better match. And if you're a match director or a match director committee, whatever you're doing, and you don't involve your the RM, the person that's going to RM your match, in reviewing the stages before you submit them, you're really doing yourselves and your RM a disservice. Um, it is not fun to show up at a match as an RM having never seen the stages and it's, that can be a real bad day. So, 
you know, please involve your RMs. We ask, we reach out sometimes to the RMs on the forum. And especially if we don't necessarily know them and, um, you know, Hey, did you look at these stages? What stages? Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I do. It Here, let me time. send these to you. Yeah. I never send comments out that I don't copy the range master for the match on it. And I get that response sometimes. Well, I haven't seen them at all yet. So yeah. All right. Well, you might want to take a look. Um, but <laughs> like Kevin said, it's to help you have a better match and to try to head off problems ahead of time because uh, this particular instance that we're talking about was was brought to me by a person that wasn't even at the match that heard it from his cousin or brother-in-law or somebody that was at the match and said, hey, I didn't think this was legal, right? Yeah. Guys, these, this is the age of social media and yeah. Instagram and Facebook and everything else. So anything you screw up with is going to get out there, right? Yeah. And that doesn't build a reputation for your match. And it lets a lot of people that may or may not have been there, that may or may not have, you know, shot the match or may or may not even know what they're talking about, have an opinion about your match. And then other people read that, right? So let's try to get it right. Uh, let us help you get it right and proceed from there. But, you know, some sometimes these stages are turned in and they're already on the ground. <laughs> and that's, you know, redrawing one is a pain in the rear, I know, but uh, moving one on the ground is also kind of a pain. So, yeah. you know, I know once I have one pinned into the dirt, I don't want to go pulling anything up and moving stuff around unless I absolutely have to. So, yep. I mean, and then some, and sometimes when I review stages, if I see something that might just be a very big, it's legal, but it might be a production issue, like may cause a lot, has potential to cause a lot of reshoots or, is you know maybe unsafe for the R not gonna be a fun day for the ROs. I'll bring that stuff up, right? Um yeah. and I usually offer a solution. So it's not like the person who submitted the stage has to figure out the solution. And sometimes it's just as much of make sure you warn the ROs not to follow the shooter around that corner. Um kind of stuff like that. But yeah, we want you to have a successful match. And we do our best to provide the advice and make sure everything's good. And, you know, occasionally we do maybe miss something. Not intentional, but it does happen. Um, but if we have time to review the stages, there's less chance of us, chances of us missing things. Right. And we will always bring you a solution. Yeah. I mean, it may not be one that you want to hear. And it... It's not ours is not always the absolute best way to do it. Oh, yeah. I mean, people have come up with alternate things to to fix things that work just as well. Mm -hmm. But in the sanction process, like like Jody and Kevin have said, we're going to try to help you out and we're going to try to give you a solution to any problems that we find so that you don't have those problems at your match. Yep. And involve your RM because he's the guy that's going to have to deal with it, you know. He should know ahead of time what he's walking into. <laughs> yeah. If he doesn't, that will be the last time. Because you learn really quick when you get surprised like that. Right. Okay. Um, we have a question in the example that uh, 
we you can always tell when somebody gets it because we we get questions about it, and it involves uh, a cable breaking on an activator, and I thought maybe we just got a, a question about it, and I had one um, a couple weeks ago. Well, well, let's clarify: the cable breaks on the activator after it's activated. Right. Exactly. So the so. competitor is able to complete the course of fire. Yes. Yeah. Fine. Yeah, and it's so. I mean, that's what I was gonna. You know, we should talk about what is and what is not range equipment <laughs> failure. So, range equipment failure is typically something happens that makes that target or series of targets not available to the competitor. So, in the case of a shoot through from cardboard to steel, that steel target's not available for the competitor to shoot at. That's range equipment failure. When the wind blows a popper down that's range equipment failure but just because something breaks if it doesn't change the stage it doesn't change the presentation of the target to the shooter that's not range equipment failure now you're gonna have to fix it before the next shooter but it is not a reshoot for range equipment failure well so on the swinger let's say they shoot the popper the cable breaks before it pulls the leg out and activates the swinger that's a range equipment failure correct because the swinger's not going, or someone forgot to set the swinger. <laughs> that happens. So, yeah, this perfectly still swinger. <laughs> the shooters are always a little confused by that one. Um, that's a range equipment failure. So basically, like Kevin said, anything that prevents the shooter from completing the stage um, in a fair and equitable manner as their other competitors. So one year at a match, a level two match, I. Uh, RM'd. We actually have a video of it, I think, in the CRO seminar. They had a what clamshell target where they had the one target and like two targets can flip up. So they had like a I think it was a no shoot that popped up in front of a scoring target after it was activated. And uh the spring wore out. And so at the beginning of the match, that no shoot popped up in a, with a good pace. Halfway through the match, the no-shoot was crawling. Yeah. So basically, the competitors later, later in the match had all day to shoot that target, whereas yeah. competitors in the morning had very little time to shoot that target. So, of course, the ROs were watching it. They stopped the shooter. We fixed it. Got it working properly again. Um, I think the match director was like, I told him, I've had problems with that target. Oh, it'll be okay. Yeah, after that match, he's like, we're never using that target again. So, um, but you know, stuff like that, that affects the competitors run is what a range equipment failure is. And if you're RMing a match and somebody says, Oh yeah, we've had some problems with that target. Don't let him use it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It'll be fine. No, it won't. (laughs) Some targets are inherently weather, uh, uh, dependent, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So a max trap, if it's windy, could be weather dependent because it's, uh, you know, it, while both targets are still upright, one of them has to fall away and then pop back up. And right. if the wind's blowing the right way, it either stays down a long time or it gets slammed back up really right. quick. So that's range equipment fair. You have to pay attention to that. The other one that's really bad are bear traps or clamshells where both yeah. targets are laying flat and horizontal yeah. on the ground. And if it's windy or if it's rainy and you got to bag them, God forbid, 
Man, that's just terrible, right? Because they're super affected by that. Oh yeah. And whether they're piston operated or spring operated, they're they're highly inconsistent because the original design used the the hatchback uh, hydraulic pistons off of yeah. a Chevy car or something, and you know those things didn't last very long. They weren't designed to go up and down 500, 600 times in a day. Or, so. or if you had nice sunny warm weather at the beginning of the match, then it turned cold and rainy. Yeah, right. forget about it. Yeah, those things are very temperature sensitive. It's it's always nice to try to have an activated target. Hey, let's use this. Yeah. But uh, And the bear traps are tough, right? Because you got to hide them from all kinds of different places. Mm-hmm. It's just... Uh, yeah, you know they, they were a good concept when they first came out, and then you know after a while people started saying, "Well, if you don't hide it from this side, I can shoot it while it's on the ground over here." And yeah, the answer right. is yeah. So it's a lot of a lot more effort to get one of those properly hidden and and set up to run. So uh, sometimes it's just not worth it, right? Drop turners not too weather resistant sometimes, depending on the design, but. They're one of the most commonly not reset targets because if they disappear when they're down, then it looks the same, right? You don't know yep. that it's that it's not set depending on where it's hidden behind. So it's hard to tell. But uh, yeah, failure to reset one is, is range equipment failure as well. So the other half of that is, you know, when you're answering questions on the on the exam, you shouldn't read too much into it. You should answer what the question asks you. And in this example, it says the cable breaks, uh, you know, basically should the competitor get a reshoot or not? That's it. Right. But I get comments. Well, if it was me, it might affect me and I would want to reshoot or, you know, if I notice the competitor hesitate or whatever. Right. Not what the question's asking you. There's other rules that deal with that sort of thing. And if that cable came back and slapped them in the face, well, yeah, that would be external influence. You got a different rule set and a different thing to deal with then. But, you know, I would venture to guess that in that example, that that competitor is not going to know that cable broke because the the popper went down, the swinger activated, everything was good, right? Uh, So you can't read that into it. Yeah, well, what usually happens is people miss it and they tell us our questions wrong, our, our test is messed up. Uh, because the answer's wrong. Yeah, they choose the rule that defines what a range equipment failure is, right? Not the rule on what the RO actions are, and not what to occurs. do about it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we know it's REF. I mean, we're telling you that up front. <laughs> <laughs> but the question is, what do you do? So, and we probably have to kill that one for a while. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that's the thing with our, our tests. I tell the students in the RO class when we're talking about the final exam, you know, if it's, if it's a question about scoring or procedural or DQ. So scoring questions usually come out of chapter nine, you know, procedurals, DQs are in chapter 10, but you got to make sure whatever the multiple choice answer is, that rule is supporting it. Right. Um, we don't want the, if it's asking how to score a target, you don't put appendix B where it defines what a target is. We want to know the rule about scoring it or, you know, the no shoots. Can you score them all kind of thing? Um, And I think some people get frustrated because we are very specific in our answers. Um, But I like to tell people 
So if you're in a match and get DQ'd and they just put section 10.4, are you going to be happy with that? Right. Or just section 10. <laughs> yeah, just section yeah. 10. Yeah, just chapter it's 10. A, chapter 10. 10. What was that, a procedural or a DQ? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I, you Both. would want to be specific. Yeah. Because <laughs> in a lot of cases, you're going to be pointing to that rule for that particular competitor to explain to them what it is, what they did to violate the rule, and what the penalty is for violating that rule. And you got to be specific. Uh, well, for a DQ, when the RM shows up, they're going to want to know exactly. Right. And they want to see scores. Yeah, practice score is good because it lists the rules, but you know you still got to know which one you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what those rules say. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> yep. And also, a lot of times, especially with the DQ, the competitors, you know, sometimes you need to show them a rule, the rule, <laughs> so they can read it themselves and be like, "Oh, yeah, I guess I did do that." <laughs> especially when they pull out their green rule book or their red rule book. <laughs> Well, the green one's just the most recent. Well, yeah, path, not the other green one. The He's talking about one. the smaller yeah. form factor of the, the green. The yeah. the last joint IPSC USPSA rulebook from right. that we got rid of in two thousand and eight. Right. <laughs> that it yep. that only that did the best. The first two no shoots counted. Right. <laughs> yeah. Every once in a while, I have somebody drag that one out going. Only the first two no shoots count, and not for a long time. No, no, not anymore. That was we, a double. We, we give you all the ones you earn now. <laughs> yep. Um, and I think we talked about that one. Troy, you have something here about drop down menus when entering Form C. Did you cover that? Uh, I didn't, but I mean, this is pretty simple. So, um, when you enter in a form C, if you're looking for the level match, uh, there is a drop down that lets you do level two, level three. It's the same for Steel Challenge, tier two or tier three matches. You just go click on it, it drops down and it gives you the selection of two or three. So, area matches are always uh, level three or tier three if it's Steel Challenge. Uh, section matches are level twos. Other matches can be either, depending on what you what level you decide to try to work on. Um, most of the section matches and and other matches that aren't section or state championships are run as a level two, because it's a little less uh, of a of an activity fee to pay to USPSA, and the rules uh, as far as organization of that match are a little bit uh, lighter than a level three, but you still got to pick it and then. The other thing that I get sometimes that I have to go through and correct is people will will enter a section match and say it's the, I don't know, I mean, whatever you'd want to call it. Let's just say the Louisiana section since I live here. Uh, And Louisiana section match, and they'll click major match instead of section match. So that should be a, you should click that off of the drop-down menu as well, that it's a section or state match. Because that puts it in a different spot on the calendar, right? So if people are going look at our webpage on the match calendar and they're looking for section matches or or area matches, and you just have it listed as a major match, it's not going to show up in that particular column. It'll be there, but you're not going to find it right off the bat. So 
there's a reason for all of those selections to be there. And there's like a special match, I think, that's, oh, I don't know what that would be, but major match, uh, section match, area match, that kind of thing. Those are all pickable items. So it describes your match and it puts it in the right category in our calendar. So just, you know, when you're filling those out, just be aware of that and uh, try to click on the right thing. It's not a, a huge chore to go in and fix it. And I usually go and review all of the form C's as they come in and make sure that it is listing the right thing so it gets put in the right place. But uh, I think major match is the first thing that shows. So people just pick it because it's not, they're not allowing the drop down menu to pop up and, uh, and showing them all the uh, obvious choices. So just make sure you're using that menu. And, and just an FYI, major matches are at the very bottom of the match listing page. Right. So. Yeah. So, yeah, it could be your major match uh, that you're putting on this year. I mean, but it's if it's a section match, listed as a section match. So that'll, that'll be a major match, too, but it's not a it, – it doesn't put it in the right spot. Okay. And – um. Yeah, and just a reminder for folks that uh, their production list is not static. It's constantly being added to um, as people send Troy guns to look at and put on the list. Um, we've talked on this podcast many times about the process that we go through to approve guns. Um, Troy didn't get to go to shot this year. Um a lot of times, a lot of vendors, you know, will want to meet up with him at, at shot to get stuff looked at, but, um, that didn't happen this year. Uh, but we are adding things to that list fairly frequently as time goes on. Um, and, uh, check the notes. A lot of the, in the vendors, if you pull down like SIG, for instance, there's a, big section of notes and it talks about, you know, the entire family of this, this model, this line is approved. So just cause you don't see, you know, the CZ, what is it? The blue and the orange and all those, they're all approved. It's the same gun. They're just different colors. Basically. Right. Yeah, so rather than list every available variable, I mean, variant of that gun and a half-ounce weight difference one way or the other, and by the way, I typically round the weight to either up or down, depending on the rounding rule, um, because there's a 59-ounce weight limit in production. We list the weight as a courtesy, so you can kind of know where to start if you're going to add things to that gun. Um, and then sometimes that weight, that the manufacturer sends us doesn't exactly match the weight that they publish on their webpage. Uh, I think a lot of them have gotten better about posting a weight with an empty magazine, but some of them don't. So that weight listed may be without the mag and the weight could be different. Uh, one manufacturer at one time was just kind of guessing and sending <laughs> us weights that weren't close. Right. So uh, weigh your gun by, you know, you get you a new production or carry optics gun, weigh it, right? Find a postal scale or something. Or With an scale. empty magazine. 
and weigh it with an empty magazine. And that's, you know, you'll know what it says and then check it against our list, check it against the manufacturer and make sure that, you know, at least those are close. And if it's way off compared to what we've published, drop me an email and say, Hey, I just weighed my XYZ uh, Martian blaster and it weighs 42 ounces. And, and, the USPSA production list listed at 29. I'm like, oh, well, we probably should fix that, right? So I will contact the manufacturer and, and you know, make sure that that's a correct weight for some reason. Maybe they changed something. Maybe they transposed numbers. I don't know. But, yeah, weigh your gun because you're, you're still responsible for showing up with a gun that meets the legal requirements for that division. So it's smart to weigh it and uh, – you know, if, you're, if your wife's mad because you're using her, her bread ingredient weighing scale in the kitchen to weigh your greasy gun, well, put a piece of wax paper down or something and don't dirty up the scale. But, uh, you know. and, and don't take it into the post office to have them weigh it for you. They get right, real yeah. excited about that. <laughs> they will not appreciate that. <laughs> and I said a postal scale. It should be the postal scale you have at your house. And also, don't go drop it in the produce scale at the supermarket. <laughs> Well, I wouldn't trust those anyway. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> if you got a, a butcher you trust, you might get him to weigh it for you, whatever. But no, just weigh it. I mean, everybody has a, a scale or access to a scale of some kind. And uh, while we try to get everything right, uh, we're at the mercy of what the of what the manufacturer sends us sometimes. So, um, you know, just it's always better to trust but verify. So. But yeah, we list a lot of variants and families. Like, for example, um, there's a, a gun company up there that only has one or two models listed, but in the note section, it says all variants of this particular model are accepted. Mm-hmm. So rather than go through and list everything with a, like I said, a half ounce difference in weight or, or something like that, or like Kevin mentioned, the color of the grips, just look for the, you know, read it. Don't just look and see, oh, my gun's not listed right here in a specific list because it may be qualified up there in the comment section. That's getting pretty common, too, because a lot of manufacturers are are following the model of one basic gun with a few additions. And so there's no real significant difference in the action or the caliber or you know, the sights, the radius, whatever. So four inch, four and a half, five inch, all that, that'll be listed on there as well. So any, you know, all variants up to five inches are legal, may say that, something like that. So, uh, but a lot of manufacturers are are building families of guns that are all the same. Beretta is one that has a ton of them Mm -hmm. that are all the same. SIG is like that, right? SIG has a, a bunch of guns that are essentially the same, different, grip frames because the SIG fire control module is the gun and everything else is just uh support structure, I guess. I don't know. So. Yeah, you can get a, a three, you can get a 320 fire control mechanism and build all manner of stuff with it. Right. Right. Yeah, It's kind of cool. It's like Legos for adults and a big clue. We keep getting, we get, three or four of these a week. A big clue is if you're looking at the specs for the gun and it says single action, it's not going to be on the production list and it never yeah. be on the production list. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we get, 
two or three questions a week. Hey, you know, this, when the Stavados first came out, we were getting three or four a day of going, Hey, how come this new, the stilettos not on, on the production list? Well, cause it's a single action gun. Staccato. Right. Or staccato. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what does that have to do with it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's kind of everything. Kind of. Yeah. So, lots of things. So we do I mean, have a new division where they fit and that's. I was going to say. Yeah. Limited optics. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Limited optics gun. Yep. Still provisional, but. Right. I think that's probably going to change. I, I was talking to Jake the other day, and I think the numbers are up for both CO and LO. Oh, I'm sure. So, I mean, are they going to make any changes to it? Maybe ask about major minor power factor scoring again. Major minor. Um, I I couldn't tell you. I haven't I haven't heard anything about it, but I don't know. We've gotten a very very few uh, asks about why can't I shoot major, but. And for the majority of people that are shooting it, we haven't really heard much about the minor thing. And, you know, honestly, anymore, it's almost a nine millimeter game across the board. Yep. Yeah. I mean, the yeah. only reason to allow major would be, I know a lot of people, I mean, at matches I get asked, but they have currently have 40 Cal, mm-hmm. right? 40 Smith and Wesson, you know, limited guns that they were like, well, if, I could shoot major. I would come play in limited optics. Yep. You know, well, build a slide and come play. Yeah. So. I'd mold a slide or get a, a another slide that's ready to go. And I'd go play in limited optics with my limited gun. One thing about major and limited optics is one of the comments I've heard. And I, I don't know, I'm not an expert. I couldn't say yes or no. Was that the dots won't hold up to the recall, but. I have no clue. I mean, well, I mean, let 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 our members make that choice, right? Well, I mean, my home loaded forty cal is pretty soft shooting compared to factory, which is snappy. I could see that, um, but at the same time, you know, I guess we put all our efforts into getting new members. We sometimes neglect to do things to keep our old, me- our current members. I won't say old, but our current members, our aging members. <laughs> I like this. Cell phone companies. Yeah. Our classic members. Our classic members. Trey, Tra- members. Trey's just mad because they took away his Motorola flip phone. <laughs> I had a bag no. phone at one time. No I like that. Well, I had one of those too. <laughs> I did not like it. It was too damn heavy. Do you guys remember back when cell phones only made calls? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That bag phone, that thing was good for calls, but man, they were expensive. Oh yeah. Wasn't something you talked on very long or very often. Well, the battery didn't last for crap either. Right. <laughs> and then uh it was such a cool concept though. I mean, it's like, man, I got a phone in a bag. It's in my car. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And I know all the the new members are laughing at us, right? It's like Yeah, I was working adjacent to the land mobile two-way radio industry as the cell phone thing was starting to take off and you could just see it. It was, it was just this wall of of change coming. It was, it was pretty amazing. Um, you know, and one day it was your mobile phone took up the entire trunk of your Cadillac and the next day you're carrying it around in your hand. It was, it was amazing. Right. And then it was the 
the short-lived era of the of the brick type phone. Oh yeah, the brick phone. Yeah, that <laughs> giant handset that people carried around. I know where I used to work. It was it was a badge of honor and privilege if they if the company gave you one of those as part of your job. And man, these guys would wear these things around. It's like what two three pounds hanging off their belt. <laughs> but it was you know oh he must be a big shot. He's got a brick. <laughs> no, the co- he's the company has a leash on him because that's what they've all turned into. Is it's oh yeah the company leash. Oh well. Well, that's all we have on the list. Anything else anybody wants to cover? Oh, I do have something. So in the new rules, there's a new rule, and I don't remember the name. Jody might have it in front of her. I don't know. About putting a separator target when you're going to overlap two scoring targets, specifically for Virginia count and fixed time stuff. And the reason for that is that you could get a hit on the edge of the over target, right? That also scores on the under target, and that causes an extra hit penalty on one of those targets. So rather than building that penalty in, the rule has been adjusted to say that you have to put some sort of separator, a no-shoot or or a hardcover target or something between the two so that that can't happen. Now, you might argue that, well, if you put a no-shoot, you can still get a hit on the over-target and a no-shoot on the under, or or vice versa. If the no-shoot is over the third target in the stack, you can get the no-shoot and the hit. And that's true, but it's not an extra hit penalty. It's a no-shoot penalty. So the penalties are different. But instead of building that gratuitous penalty in, uh, uh, we, we tried to adjust that where you can't do it. You have to put a separator in. So we just got a question about that. Uh, it's like, how much separate? Well, the answer is enough where you can't possibly have that situation occur, where you couldn't get, say you stacked a, a scoring target and a no-shoot and another scoring target, where you couldn't hit the, the top left corner and get all three, right? You got I mean, it's just a common sense thing, but you got to separate them enough where that that can't happen. And it doesn't matter what configuration you put it in, align your separator target or your no-shoots accordingly and ensure that it doesn't happen. I mean, it's it's a pretty simple fix, but you do have to have that separator in there, and that'll be effective on the 29th. Um, and just make sure that you got something in there. I mean... My choice would be put a no shoot, I mean, a hardcover in there because then you're not incurring some other penalties, especially in a fixed time stage where people are are kind of trying to hammer away and get all their shots in in the time allotted, right? Yeah. So. Yeah, and it's going to be rule, new rule 426. And right. for Virginia count fixed time courses of fire, overlapping targets must not present a situation where a single bullet can create two scoring hits, thus creating an extra hit penalty. Targets must be separated with hardcover and no shoot. So. Yep. It's removing a penalty that on a shooter that did absolutely nothing wrong. You know, he didn't fire an extra shot, so he get, but he got an extra hit. That's, He's just lucky and got a two for... Well, it's only lucky in Comstock. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. My last RO class, 
I had, we did the RL Prez. I had a shooter. They'd had some great hits. This class went far and above, far and beyond, above and beyond of uh, getting good hits for uh, scoring practice. But it was a nice figure eight grouping of two hits right on the edge of the no shoot. One hit touched the perf, one did it. Ooh. I got a picture of it. I got it. Put it in somewhere. Use somewhere. Coming soon to a seminar near you. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Anything else? All right. Uh, so, no. yep. New rules on the 29th. So, update your PDF copies on your phones or tablets, whatever you're using. The app will be updated shortly thereafter. It takes Rick a little while to get all that stirred and pushed out but it it probably probably by next next week something that the week following um that will get pushed out um and that's all three rule books competition rules multi-gun rules and steel challenge rules um so coming soon to an app near you and hopefully they'll be available on amazon uh, for purchase fairly soon who knows but <laughs> And, uh, if you, uh, if you have, if your club is talking about classes, get busy, get out there and get, get the ask in for classes, um, with the new steel challenge class hitting, we're anticipating that there will be several clubs that will immediately jump in and want those fairly quickly. And we're not increasing the number of instructors we have, but that's adding another class type. that's going to take an instructor out for a weekend. So that's going to put more pressure on, on getting classes done. Uh, and it's going to tie up available instructors and available weekends. So get it, get those classes on uh, now and get the ask in and uh, we'll, we'll get you on the calendar and get an instructor assigned. If you have any questions, rules at USPSA.org. We're happy to Use your questions here on the podcast as well, but we will also get you an answer, usually usually same day, sometimes the next day. Uh, kind of depends on when you send it, um, but that's rules at USPSA.org, and we'd love to hear from you. Anything else, guys? That's all I have. Jody? I'm good. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. Have a good night. Good night. Good night. Good night.